0: We have um, a new series today, starting through the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Christina. It's really exciting to be launching this summer camp. For those of you guys who grew up in church and maybe know the VBS lingo, think of that, but it's going to be really exciting. Hope you can invite your friends. Uh, there's a lot of, of potential uh, opportunity there, so please take advantage of that. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about identity this week. It's the series title that we're, we're going through. Uh, for me, husband, father, uh, you know, want to be. Uh, Barbecue, aspiring, you know, amateur photographer. I mean, these are things that are that are true of me, you know, different aspects of, of what makes me me, the different identities of, of who I am. And you know what identity I've just been thinking about that I really just miss? It's the identity of being a college student. The identity of being a college student is such a sweet deal. I mean, not for everybody. There's different circumstances and all that, but to be a college student basically means society gives you a free pass for about four years to just, you know, study dream, play, and do whatever you're going to do to try to figure out what your life's going to be about. It's awesome. And you know, everybody shamelessly leans into that, whether they realize it or not. When you're a student of just being like, I'm a student, it's the most important thing in my life. Hey, you should come out to this event we're doing. No, I'm a student. I've got to be studying. And everybody in the quote unquote real world is rolling their eyes, but gives you that pass. Like, okay, you're a student. All right. You, you be busy over there. Not really. And, and figure it all out. It's a great identity. I was thinking about that. I was like, man, I wish I could be a student again. Um, But we all have different identities, you know, mom, software engineer, 49ers fan, Lakers fan, there's some LA people out here, I couldn't bring it myself to say Rams fan, but we'll get over that soon here as we console ourselves after last week's game. All these different identities that make up who we are, different aspects of who we are, They're, they're true things about us, but are they the truest thing about us? Isn't it interesting that some of the biggest questions we ask in life revolve around identity, you know, who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Will anybody ever know, you know, the real me and love the, the real me? It's really important to understand who we are at our core what our truest identity is. It just matters a lot. And so I'm really excited to go through the book of Ephesians with you. I mean, for starters, just as a quick side note, it's one of my ongoing goals here at Current to give us a quote unquote well-rounded biblical diet try to hit different sections of scripture. Uh, last series, we were in a gospel or a biography of Jesus in the New Testament. Before that, we were actually in the Old Testament. Funny enough, through looking through the lens of Hebrews, which is a New Testament book, but Old Testament, New Testament gospel. Now we're in a New Testament epistle or letter to one of the early churches to try to get in there and see what God might be teaching us from here. And Ephesians is just as good as it gets. Now, I understand it's all God's word, word so it's all, it's all good, right? But what what Bible scholars say about Ephesians is it's, it's like a crown jewel of the epistles. Uh, it's, it's, it's the very, it's the only book that Paul in writing to one of the early churches didn't have like issue that he was taking sight towards, right, he didn't have some heresy, some church problem that he was writing to, to kind of address, it was just him just breaking out all the stops and saying, man, consider these things, consider who God is and consider who we are in him. If someone were to ask me, what is the book of Ephesians about? In a word, I would say it's about the church. But if you look at it from a different angle, you see that it's also about our identity in Christ. Because we see over and over throughout this entire epistle, the phrase in Christ, who we are in Christ. And from just the text that we're looking at today, from just verses three through 14, that phrase in Christ shows up 11 times. So this this text what Paul is trying to say through this letters is, is we need to understand who we are in Christ and it's in Christ, it's breathtaking what he tells us here just in this text let alone as we continue for and i have to confess it's like i was sitting there this week preparing and looking at this text and thinking oh my goodness lord please help because i can't take us to the heights that this text takes us to that's actually true of any text it's all god's word So we need the Lord's help, which he promises to do. So let's first go to him in prayer, asking him to open it up to us, and then we'll consider our identity in him and why it matters. Father, as ever, we need your spirit to open up your word to us. We can't understand it apart from you, at the head level and especially at the heart level. So we pray that you would fill this place, fill our hearts, and show us what you have in front of us in Christ Help us to understand these these truths, these wonderful, wonderful blessings that you you give to us. And if there's any here who uh, have yet to receive you or checking you out, pray that you'd give them your spirit as well. Draw them to you to see what you have for them. I will give you this time, we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, after his initial greeting to the church in Ephesus, uh, Paul just comes out the gate swinging. I mean, he goes so high, so fast in the the heights that he takes us to, it's enough to give you a a nosebleed. Check it out in verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's like, hey guys, it's me, Paul. Praise be to God who's given us every blessing in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just, we're way up there, just right out the gates. And just to note a few things from this verse, uh, let's notice first that it's God's initiative. It's God who's the actor here. God the Father is the one who is doing these things. Number two, notice that it's all in the past tense. He has blessed us, meaning it's a done deal for those who are in Christ. And then number three, notice that it is every spiritual blessing. That's that's an absolute statement if there is one. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, what's this word blessing mean? Uh, It's not the Southern, oh, bless your heart. It's not the Instagram hashtag blessed. Uh, It means to come closer to shalom. It means, quite literally, every joy and every benefit your heart and soul needs and longs for. Uh, That's what it means to be blessed. And what Paul is saying is, we are blessed in every way through Christ because God has done this for us. We're just one verse into Ephesians 1, and it's like, is that starting to sink in at all? I mean, it's like, what? Uh, Does that sink in at all? Christian friends, are you living from that? Cindy and I have been in a leadership seminar uh, recently with a pastor named uh, Larry Osborne. If that name sounds familiar, I've read a few of his books and have quoted him from time to time in in messages. And so when I got an email just kind of promotional saying, hey, I'm going to do a Zoom uh, seminar, Cindy and I were like, let's try to do that. So it was awesome. We got to be a part of this and get some time with him and and learn from him. He's a very thoughtful guy, very wise guy. At one point, he talked about how as a society, we serve the idol of uh, potential, He says, as a society, we serve the idol of potential. What does that mean? He says, we're all just striving for what we could be or what we could have been. He said, the easiest way to think about that is think about parents. I mean, how many parents do you know are just like losing sleep at night because they could have done this for their kid, or they should be thinking about this kid, or are there things that they should be thinking about maybe for their kids? Just losing sleep, killing themselves over it. Now, that's not to say as parents we are, we're not to live to help our kids you know, be successful and, and reach their potential, but if it's to the point where we're like killing ourselves over it, which is not hard to see in our society, it's like, well, the idol of potential. Or think about it in the workplace. Any of you guys bending the knee to the idol of potential in the workplace? Maybe you're living out of a fear of not leaving the impact in the world that you would otherwise be able to leave. Uh, maybe it's running around frantically from one thing to the next, task to task, and meanwhile, you're forgetting what's truest about you, and that is you are in Christ, for those of you who are Christian. Uh, that's all of us. And we all serve you know, the idol of potential and, and many others when it comes to these different identities that we have. Uh, we just strive, and it doesn't say these things are bad, but po- approaching these things are all just in and of themselves bad. You get, there could be wonderful things related to, to different aspects of our lives, being a parent, being in the workplace, or whatever it might be. But if that's the ultimate driver, we can easily enslave ourselves to it. And what Paul is reminding those who are in Christ is that you already have everything, everything your soul could ever need or want or desire for. So okay, what are these blessings? Okay, he kind of talks real quickly. He's like God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, what are these blessings? Uh, verses 3 through 14, Paul kind of lays them all out. And actually, verses 3 through 14 in the original Greek language is one single long sentence. It's like Paul's just kind of bringing it all together and trying to articulate in this one little con- compact sentence of saying, these are the wonderful blessings. It's not meant to be exhaustive. Okay, there's many more blessings for, for those in Christ. Uh, and, and by the way, we can't hit on all of them, let alone as deeply as we could. I mean, each of each of these could probably not just be a sermon unto themselves, but a series uh, themselves. So we'll, so we'll touch on what we, what we can, but what are some of these blessings that we have in God? First of all, let's look at verse four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. All right, so here we see he chose us and he predestined us. I was once sitting in a Panera cafe and I had one of the back tables where I was working on a sermon. So I had my Bible out. I had, this is back before, many years ago, before I did things on computers, computer. So I had a, like, yellow legal pad, which is where I took my notes on. I had a bunch of, like, theological books spread out. It's like anybody kind of paying attention knew what I was doing back there, okay? So I had this back table. I was just working on, on a sermon or whatever. And you know how when you're kind of hanging out or kind of in the zone like that, and you see someone out of the uh, corner of your eye just kind of making their way towards you? They could, they could go in different directions, but still somehow you know they're, like, coming towards you a guy had made an order uh, you know well to do looking guy thoughtful looking guy had made his order and he was kind of making a beeline towards me and I'm in the middle of study trying to jam do do my thing comes right up to me and with no introduction no preamble he says I've been wondering something for a long time and he's looking at all the stuff I have on my table (laughs) which is it predestination or free will And I have to confess in that moment, I was like, are you kidding? Like, if there's ever a drawn out conversation, it's that. I'm like trying to get my stuff done. I'm like, oh, okay. But then I'm like, no, no, I gotta push that thought aside. I'm like, hey, we gotta have conversations when people wanna have conversations. So I'm like, so anyways, that happened in a split second. But he said, which is it? Predestination or free will? And I looked at him, I said, yes. And he looked at me, he's like, huh, okay. And he walked away. I was like, all right. You know, it's like the doctrine of predestination is very complicated, very mysterious to get our heads around. And I'll be real, it's for some, for some it's not, it's just, well, and just in the sense of like, okay, all right. You know, like that guy in the Panera, but for, for others, it's like, I don't, I can't get my head around it. And I'll be real with you. For me, it's been a question. We do Alpha every other semester or so here at Kern, a class that we run for those exploring the Christian faith. And one of the questions we ask the first night of Alpha every time is, if there's a God, what would you ask? And I love that question because it gets everybody talking and you get to know people. It's just, man, it's a wonderful way to just start to get into things. And a question that I've shared for myself almost every time, and I always say, hey, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, and, you know, this is where I'm coming. The question I would ask is... I understand the Bible teaches both. I understand functionally that both make sense functionally, but how does predestination and free will work? How do those things go together? That would be my question. And it's mysterious, it's complicated. I don't think we can get our heads around it, this side of of heaven. But the, the teaching is, if your answer is to the question, why are you Christian? You say, because I chose the Lord. In a way, you're right. But that's looking at it from the human point of view. What Ephesians 1 is saying is, Let's look at it from God's point of view. You chose him because he first chose you. Now, somebody will say, I don't like that. That's not fair. What about those who are not chosen? Well, there's a couple of issues with that. One, how do we know whom God is working in their lives? We could never, you could look at somebody and say, well, I don't know, but how do we know? Only God, only they know. And then number two, think about it from the biblical perspective, because we might say that's not fair. That's crazy that some are this way. The Bible says, you know what's crazy? It's Grace, that God chooses any, that he's gracious with any. Some will say, well, then why do our choices matter then? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist minister uh, who believed in predestination, uh, told a story that kind of got at this. He once went to visit a man who fell sick and was lying in bed, and he asked him how, how he was doing, and, the, and the, the man said, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know if, I'm, if I should take my medicine. And Charles Spurgeon looked at him, he's like, what do you you mean? He said, well, I suppose if I'm predestined to live, uh, it doesn't matter what I do. And if I'm predestined to die, well, it doesn't matter what I do. And Charles Spurgeon looked at him, he said, well, I can answer that one for you right now. It seems pretty clear to me, because if you take your medicine, you're predestined to live. And if you don't, the doctor's telling me you're predestined to die. H.A. Ironside, a Canadian-American pastor and theologian, uh, tells an illustration that doesn't wrap it all in the bone. Again, it's complicated. We can't get our... It's mysterious. Even we can't get to the depths of it. But he tells an illustration I think is really helpful that my dad shared with me at a young age that I thought was really illuminating. H.A. Uh, Ironside said, when someone draws near and listens to the Spirit and pressing upon them the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, and trying to decide what they're, what they're going to do with it, are they going to respond? Are they going to receive the call? Uh, it's as if they're coming to heaven's gates, and there on the front post are the words, Revelation 22:17, 17, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. And as that person thinks about it and goes, okay, man, this is, yes, I, I'm going to respond, I'm to receive, walks through the gate. If they look behind them, they will see on the backside of the post, Ephesians 1, 4, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's like one of my old pastors used to say, it's like riding in an elevator. It just works. Predestination is mysterious, but it just, it just works. He's like, I don't understand how it works in an elevator. I push, I push a button, electricity goes from here to there, and uh, you know, I, it works on some you know, levers and pulleys and weights and all that sort of thing, and I end up on this level that I had decided I wanted to go. It just I don't understand, but it just works. Okay, now obviously on a much larger and intense scale, Predestination—we can't get our heads around all of it, but it just—it just works. I mean, that's the thing about predestination. Because think of it this way: if you say, "I'm the reason I'm a Christian is because I chose God," well, you're going to start to run into some issues. Well, what do you mean? Well, let's play that out. If you—if you're saying I chose God, then the question can be: Well, why did you choose God? Well, I chose God because I came to the place of understanding. Well, I, I chose God because I—I. I, I came to the place where I, I humbled myself, or I repented, or, and you see what's happening there is we're all of a sudden saying in, in, our, in our own way, I came to choose God because I, I knew better, or I understood better, or I am better. The problem with that is that flies in the face of the gospel, which is, it is all God's initiative, his doing, and nothing we can earn, and just receive The doctrine of predestination is mysterious, but the implications are extremely helpful and comforting. For starters, the fact that it teaches we are 100% responsible for our actions, while at the same time, God is going to use all of our actions for good. And then you have this thought of how he just knows you and me through and through. He's been thinking about you, caring for you about what your life would be about. Psalm 139 uh, says it like this. Here's verses one through two, and then 13 through 17. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Uh, King David, the psalm writer here, was just coming to grips with, like, God knows everything about me. He's known everything about me beforehand. He sees the end from the beginning. And when I connect the dots between knowing that and understanding who God is, there aren't words for it. Actually, in one other place in that same psalm, he goes, this is too lofty for me to even attain unto it. What are these blessings that God has given us We we see that he has chosen us in love. He has predestined us. Verse five, for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So number two, we see that we were were, uh, chosen for adoption to sonship. Uh, I love that our NIV translation, at least the one that we use when we're we're preaching here, uh, keeps that word sonship. Because, you know, in, in 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 a nod to looking at modernity and understanding wording and all that, they could have chosen sonship and daughtership. But in a way, they were like, no, to be faithful here, we really do need to keep the word sonship. And actually, if you have uh, at least my translation, the one that we're using today, you'll see that there's a footnote there that that says this. The Greek word for adoption to sonship is a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. So this is a a radical thought. Think about this in its context. 2,000 years ago, Paul was saying both all Christians... Men and women, sons and daughters, have the rights, have the blessing that God is saying are unto you like that of a Roman son adopted into their culture. What does that mean? Well, back then, in that Roman culture, in that, in that setting, the, there was a law that said if a Roman father wanted to adopt his son, he could do that. But the law stated he would have to do it and fully bring that son to be truly his, like just a, a, same as a son legally, with all the inheritance, with all the, the, the blessings, he, that Roman father would have to bring him in as a, as a true son. So think of this. What Paul is saying is for those who are in Christ, he doesn't just kind of sort of bring you into his family, you know, as sons and daughters, kind of in a general sense. He's saying he brings you into his family like his own son, Jesus, there's a story that Alpha tells uh, that I think is pretty, pretty interesting and, and helpful in this regard. He talks about how a, there was a northern soldier fighting in the, the Civil War who found out tragically while he's out on the front lines that his dad and two brothers had passed away. And his mom was left back with the farm with no one to help, and they were going to lose their livelihood, and, and he felt like he needed to get back and care for his mom. And he didn't know what to do, so he figured the best thing he could maybe hope to do would be to get a presidential exemption, just plead his case and see if he could get off and leave, leave the war and go, go back and take care of his family. So he got permission, went to uh, traveled all the way to the White House, but when he got to the White House, he found that he couldn't get inside. He said, no, you don't understand. I got to get to the president. Like, that's funny. No, it's not going to happen. Wasn't letting in. So he, he found a nearby park bench and just was feeling dejected and just, just overcome with grief, hung his head. And a little boy uh, came up to him there on that park bench and said, hey, you know, what's, what's going on, sir? And the man shared his story, like, you know, what he was about, what he's trying to do, what he was hoping for. And the little boy said, oh, hey, come with me then. Took the soldier by the hand, started heading back towards the White House. Only this time, nobody stopped them. They just walked straight in, past the bureaucrats, past the low-ranking army officials, you know, walked right up to the Oval Office, didn't even knock, just walked straight in, and there was President Abraham Lincoln looking over maps with four-star generals on both sides. He looks up, sees this little guy, and says, oh, hey, son, what can I do for you? And the son goes, you got to hear this man's story. Now, it's a beautiful allegory for our access to... our Heavenly Father, that Christ has made the way. But here's the thing, it actually falls short of the truest beauty. Because the true beauty, what Paul is saying here, is when we are adopted in sonship, as it is understood here from this context, is we are not brought in as outsiders. We are brought in, made insiders. It's even better. We are adopted. We are fully brought in as family, as his sons and daughters. And that's true of you. That's your identity if you're in Christ. What does that mean for us? There's too many implications to like break it all down in this sermon. Have any of you guys watched the the show, The Crown? Um, I don't know how many people will actually admit that. (laughs) You know The Crown? I don't think they haven't come out with a season in a while because I think the pandemic has slowed production. It's about Queen Elizabeth, her family, and and, you know, the kids and them getting raised up. Um, There's this one series of episodes where one of the kids, I can't remember which one, one of the boys, is sent to like this boarding school. And it's kind of this thing where, you know, he's the prince. He's like, you know, son to the queen. And, but at this boarding school, he has to be just one of the kids, like one of the boys. Like he can't be like, I'm the prince, you know. It's like, it's very clear that's that's kind of what the deal is for him. And so, you know, he, he enters into that space and it's humbling for him. He learns a lot by the end. I mean, he's, he's made fun of. He has to deal with like real, you know, all that stuff. And it's, it's a good lesson for him. But, you know, it's funny. If you kind of like pull the lens back and think about it. If you think about it, if you were in that, that little guy's shoes, I mean, obviously he's really young, but like in a sense, you could think about it. He could have at any point when he's going through these hard times or struggling with this or that, he could have at any point been like, wait a minute, wait a minute. My mom's the queen. And while he wasn't going to be able to be like, I just expect this, you know, he could have just been secure and understood. This is, it's all trivial. It's like, it's, it's going to be okay. How much more true for you in Christ to know that you, your heavenly father is the king of kings, Lord of lords. Now look, we only get a foretaste of it now in this life. And if you talk to people who have been Christian and can describe this to you, it's, it's a wonderful foretaste. But it's gonna be consummated when Jesus returns. That's what v- verse 10 is all about. I'm not sure this is gonna be on the screen. I apologize for that. But verse 10 says, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, when God brings unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I mean, the implications of us being adopted sons and daughters with the full rights of sonship. Just mind-boggling. I mean, think about like coveting, right? Anybody struggle with going onto Facebook and whether you realize it or not or Instagram or whatever and just like seeing what you have come onto your feed and just being like, oh man, I wish I could have that. Or I wish my life was like that. I wish I had what they have. It's like we we can go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What I have in Christ is infinitely greater than that. Why am I getting sucked up in this materialist? you know, this is not pointing finger judgment. It's just like, if you just have a little talk with ourselves, like, man, our identity in Christ is so much bigger. That's just one implication when it comes to like covenant and that sort of thing. But that's the promise that God, one of these blessings is that God chose us. Number two, we see for, for adoption. And then number three, look at verse seven. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. So third blessing is we have the redemption through Christ's blood, forgiveness of sins. Uh, this last week or the week before, I came across in my YouTube feed a psychologist talking about the vital importance of God's justice and God's mercy. And it really caught my eye because this was not a religious conversation, okay? this was not a religious setting. This guy, for all I know, isn't Christian, just using kind of the, I I don't, it, like, it just caught my eye. He said, it is the two things that are very vital for our society are God's justice and God's mercy. They're vital for our society. They're vital for each of us as people. And to quote him, he said, if, if, if you remove either of God's justice or God's mercy in our lives, you have hell on earth. I was like, that's, that's interesting. He went on to explain. He said, think about it. He's like, what would it look like to live in a world where there was no there's no justice? There's no accountability for anything. I mean, could you imagine? That, that would be hell on earth. He said, but if you flip that and there was only judgment ever for every little thing that everybody did, right payment for every wrong, then you don't have to think too hard about that. That would be hell on earth. So we need God's mercy. We need both God's justice and his mercy. And I think this is helpful to start to get at what Paul is saying here in that we have in Christ this blessing of redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins. This word redemption literally means in the Greek deliverance by payment, of a price. It was especially applied to slaves back then in that society. And so when Paul says, we have redemption through the blood of Christ, he's saying, we have been delivered. We have been rescued. On the cross, God, through his son, dealt with both justice and mercy. He upheld both justice and mercy at the same time. Every once in a while, i get the question, why didn't God just wave his hand and just forgive people? Like, why, why didn't he just do that? But don't you see that sort of betrays our worldview, you know, in in our more Cush Western society, if I could say it that way, because there's a lot of people around the world who are living in war-torn societies, lots of corruption, evil is just right in their face, and if anything, what they would say is, why doesn't God just wave his hand and bring justice already? It's not one or the other, We we need both, and on the cross, Jesus God, through Jesus, dealt with both. On the cross, that's why it says he redeemed us with his blood. It was a payment. He, he, he took the righteous judgment that we deserve, that our sins deserve, on his body to give us, what, mercy, that we can receive what we didn't earn for ourselves. God absorbed the payment. When we do a wrong, there's always a need of a payment. You might choose to forgive the person, but you're, you're internally taking a little bit of a, of a payment there, Right? But ultimately, all our wrongs are directed at the one who made us, loved us, called us into a life to live according to his ways. And so on the cross, he dealt with that once and for all, upholding justice and mercy, extending us grace through Jesus. When he not only died a physical death, but died a a spiritual death, taking our judgment for us. And look at verse 4. It says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is getting at what theologians call imputed righteousness. Meaning, God doesn't just through Jesus forgive us. (laughs) Just, as if that were like, you know. He also gives us his righteousness. He imputes it, meaning he looks at us. When he looks at you, if you are in Christ, he sees you clothed in Jesus' righteousness. He looks at you as made clean in him. Now, does that mean you have a free pass to just go and sin and do all these things? No. I mean, the Apostle Paul, in another letter, uh, quickly says, if that's your thinking, if that's how you're operating, you're probably not a Christian. It hasn't probably sunk in. You probably haven't actually received the gospel. Why not? Because the gospel is God's son came to die for you, give everything for you. The only response to that would be, I got to give my life for him, which means dying for others, because that's what he wants us to do. Not just be like, well, that didn't mean anything. Free pass? No. It means we haven't understood it. But nor does it mean that we are just, you know, perfect once we believe in Jesus. now We're, we're being made clean, but, but as he sees us now, he sees God's, uh, Jesus' righteousness in us, even as when we're brought into the next life, we will be made perfectly clean in every way. All right. These are some incredible promises, incredible blessings. Uh, we could go into the much more. We could look at a few more here. I mean these take us to such great heights it makes Mount Everest look like a distant anthill right but what do we do with all of this what does this mean like what what is what ought to be our response well i think the first place to look at is how paul is actually as he's writing these words responding himself in real time i think it's really interesting cuz paul is like modeling this for us because in this one verse again uh, excuse me one sentence verses 3 through 14 he says In verse 6, verse 12, verse 14, and praise be to God for his glorious grace. First response, it seems to me, for every spiritual blessing we have received in Christ is it ought to lead us to praise. It ought to lead us to go, thank you. Like what we were doing earlier today when we just sang. I often hear, folks say, you know, friends of mine who don't identify as Christian, like, man, Christians really get into it when they're singing. Like, what's all that about? This is what that's all about. We're saying thank you. We're just trying to pour out our hearts in some small way for the infinite goodness that God has already lavished on us. It ought to lead us to praise. Uh, A while back, I heard a person share that the most moving stories are ones that elicit an emotional response. The best stories kind of move something inside of us. And so I I went on this journey of self-study, of seeing what stories move me. And so I was just paying attention. So there's stories that really move me because they made me laugh. There's stories that really move me because they made me angry. I didn't like those stories as much, but I noticed that they moved me. And we relate to them. We kind of connect with them. But there's one type of story that compared to all others, moves me way more than any of them. And that is a story, a great story of self-sacrifice. I mean, we're talking, it's not even close in comparison. I just, those stories of self-sacrifice move me. And uh, if, in case you're thinking, well, maybe that's just because you're Christian, and, you know, you have these core beliefs that are related to self-sacrifice in Jesus. I've also been paying attention to those around me just to make sure it wasn't just me. I mean, I, case in point, Avengers Endgame you guys watch that? Sorry, not sorry. Spoilers coming at you, but it's been out for a while, so. Um, that, that time when Iron Man, just at the end, you know, sacrifices himself to save all his friends and all the character development that had been building up to that moment, stretches back multiple movies, who this guy is. And even in that one movie, or at least I guess it's two because of Infinity Game and all that. But anyways, it, he, it, it, he's, he's doing all of this for the sake of hopefully getting back to, to have a life with his daughter, you know, But in that moment, he just decides, you know what, the only way forward, the only way to save her and all my friends, everybody, I've got to sacrifice myself. So, Oh, man, where's the tissue box? And you know what? The directors knew it was going to pull at your, your heartstrings and mine, and they're punks for it. If you watch that movie again, you'll notice something that, that I just, I think is like crazy. It's like the, the directors knew it. Like so often when it's a moment like that and the other characters are responding, right? He, he, he sacrificed himself and all the other characters are like, it's dawning on them and grief is starting to set and all that sort of stuff. You usually have accompanying that like the soundtrack of like emo instrumental like piece that is just like trying to usher in the waterworks, right? To Just help, help, the, help the cause. In Endgame, it was utterly silent. All you heard was like crackling of, of fire because, you know, a war had just happened. You know, it was just crackling of fire. But it wasn't silent in the movie theater, at least where I was. I mean, it was so silent. I just heard everybody around me just like... Everybody's just like trying their best to not like lose it in public. I was, I was doing it. Uh, the directors knew it. Look, I've, you know, I read uh, Harry Potter and when... You know, Harry Potter at the end sacrifices himself. Again, sorry about spoilers here, but man, it's been out. It's been out, it's been out. When Harry Potter, when Harry Potter sacrifices at the end, when I read that, I was just like, I lost it. You know, I'm not one to lose it, but I was like, oh, okay. Then I went to watch it in the theater, and I knew it was coming. I still lost it. I'm like, dang it. Why do these stories move us so much? Because they are just the faintest of shadows of the greatest sacrifice of all when God sent his son to die for us, to redeem us, to save us from our sins. How can that not lead us to praise? How can that not lead us to say, I praise you, God, for your glorious grace? How can that not lead us to sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, a saved wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It ought to lead us to Praise. But number two, it ought to lead us to live it out. If you allow me a kind of a cheesy illustration here. You remember the, the Gatorade commercial, Is It In You? Uh, any of you is that like too old now? I don't know if everybody knows that. It's like, is it in you? It's like, that was a major Gatorade ad push for a while, promotion. The whole idea was like in these commercials, the, the, the superstar athletes would drink these Gatorades and they drink so much of it, it helped them so much, it was coming out their pores, right? And the whole tagline at the end, is it in you? Go buy some Gatorade, that kind of thing. Use the example, but if, if every blessing of Christ is in us, if, if, if that's in us, ought it not come out of us in every aspect of our lives? When you talk about the, uh, the full, truest identity we have in Jesus, ought that not overflow into all other identities that we take in this life as we live out who God calls us to be, to be loving people, self-sacrificing people, serving, caring, looking to the needs of others even before our own. We ought to live it out. In fact, one of the ways to truly understand if this is in you, if this is at work in you as a follower of Jesus, is to see in your life that it's, it's coming out, because it'll, it'll just come out. If God has done all of this for you, friends, doesn't that help you, say, when you're driving down the street and you're just super frustrated with different things in life and you're just getting impatient and you realize man, that guy cutting me off isn't as big of a deal as I'm making it out to be. Or maybe when you look at the different ways that you're treating people in your life, and you realize, man, that's, that's not the way I want to treat them. I can look back to my truest identity and let that be what undergirds the way I go about life. Or say, choosing to pursue purity and holiness, making decisions and choices in that regard, knowing that you are found, redeemed, and forgiven in, in Christ, In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. He chose you, he's adopted you, he's redeemed you, and he has lavished upon you. I love that word, his grace. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity uh, this morning, if you're here in person or if you're, you're here joining us online, I want to give you an opportunity, if You sense God's spirit tugging on your heart and pressing the gospel or good news message of Jesus on your heart that that he sent his son to die for you and do everything for you in your place, giving you the forgiveness of sins. If you'd like to receive him today, the promise is whosoever will may come. Today is the day of salvation. So if you're here in person, I wanna give you that opportunity. You can raise your hand and indicate that. I'll see it and pray for you. If you're online, there'll be prompts that you can follow. Obviously, it's not about raising your hand or following a prompt, but if that's what your decision is in your heart, most importantly, the Lord will see it, but I'll see it and pray for you. I just wanna come alongside you, give you a moment. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who are in Christ, we, we confess that we, we regularly do not live from the truest thing about us, our truest identity, and that is we are in Christ. And we thank you that you, you love us there even still and that you lavish your grace upon us day by day. But Father, would you help these truths, these wonderful blessings uh, that we can't fully grasp even in this life. They're too wonderful. We can't, it's too lofty. We can't attain them to it. I pray that you would help each of us, for each of us, let it sink in a little bit further. For those who are just running around frantically from one thing to the next in whatever identity they have. For those who are feeling down because there's just so much weight that they're carrying. Whatever the case may be, Lord, would you help give them the deliverance that you offer in Jesus? Or actually, live from the deliverance you've already given them. I pray that for myself as well. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. The one in whom we are in. Amen.